0: A to Stokes, is onside. One right down. Here's Sims. It's a good service this, from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long. Did you hear that, Tom? That that was League Cup semi-final commentary just there.
1: Very personal, very personal, John. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I think actually, um, do we do the first ever Saints FC podcast around about that time? I think. I think right. perhaps yeah. we we just Six got. Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe post the first leg of the semi-final or just before the FA, uh, before the um the League Cup final. I think it was. Yeah. That we started this thing with Neil Madison and Jason Dodd in that first episode.
1: And David Armstrong, RIP.
0: Yeah, yeah. First. I'm really pleased we got to speak to him, actually, and got that episode out there, because uh, he was great. I mean, that was a very surreal day when I was cycling to work, and then my phone went, and on the phone is ex-Southampton and England legend <laughs> David Armstrong phoning up to book a podcast with me. And I'm like, that's oh, great. Um, anyway. Very nice. Tom, great to see you. Great to hear you. How's yeah. it going?
1: Good, good. Things are on the up, aren't they? We're, this is it. We're marching to Wembley. Everything's good, John.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you've got the confidence. Uh, bought our tickets today, didn't we, for that first leg, the semi-final? I have to admit, I haven't bought tickets for the second leg. It's quite far yeah, away.
1: I mean, I live got, in Devon. It doesn't get much further, John, for no,
0: you. No, no. Uh, Until we're on a European tour next season But you know, there we go Um, Last episode was before Christmas Episode 115 We talked about whether Southampton should keep hold Of Ralph Hassenhuttle And as per usual They listened (laughs) to us Heard the podcast And then dispatched of Ralph Um, We didn't do a podcast On who they should select as the next manager They went and did that on their own Mm -hmm. And um, we got this chap from Luton Town, Nathan Jones. And uh, I've got to be (laughs) honest, um, I mean, the tweets are out there. I haven't deleted them. Uh, I I wasn't very impressed with his first few games at all. In fact, I'd say it's maybe the least impressed I've ever been with a new Southampton manager after, what, four or five games? And then all that time he had... Yeah. um during the world cup to get them playing his style I, I i just felt like we you know we had the liverpool loss before the world cup we had the world cup and then what was it that brighton loss was bad the fulham loss was bad the forest loss was maybe the worst i've ever seen saints play
1: yeah and and let's not forget the lincoln i mean the lincoln game where we conceded after Eighty seconds or something, to a comedy goal The little like something from the under nines. um Yeah, look, it was it was awful. I, th- I think. Um, and no, you know, I like you, you. You wrote it. You stand by it. um It was it was really really bad. um But then I I think if we look at history through rose tinted glasses, yes, we were. We got beat by Fulham, and we got we got beat by Brighton. Turns out they're actually both really good football teams, and I think it's like a there is like a, a historical thing maybe of us sort of looking at it, going, "Well, we always, you know, you'd think we'd beat Fulham, and you would yeah. think we'd probably beat Brighton a good game, but those are teams that have, through kind of astute recruitment and good savvy management and being well run, have kind of left us in the dust." Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the performances. The Fulham performance, actually, I didn't think it was that bad. Brighton was really, really bad. I mean, they made us look like a like a conference team. And I think, I think we'd all agree. Forest, I I can't remember a worse Saints performance, and I've been watching Saints for th- over 30 years, and I can't remember a worse performance in the Forest game. And actually, I can't remember a worst performance by a professional sports team I've
0: ever seen. I mean. Uh- I, I'm genuinely including the, the two nine nils in that. Like I think the nine nil against Man United, we, we scored a legitimate goal that was that was ruled out unfairly. Refereeing was, was bad. But but we created chances we just conceded every chance that, that Man United had and um I don't know, the Leicester game was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean maybe I'm just shell shocked and I can't really remember it. But, but I think what I found so frustrating about Forest is that there was no incisiveness whatsoever. And I remember, like, being about 60 minutes um, and just thinking, this this is really, really bad. And then you get to 80 minutes, and normally in a game that you're chasing where you're 1-0 down, 80 minutes, you're thinking, right, we've got, what, maybe two, three, four chances left in this game. There's a good chance of, um, of getting an equaliser. But at no point in the second half, I don't think. Did it. Did I feel like we were even going to get a shot anywhere near on target or cre- no. create create a decent chance? In, in fact, I think it was what, Shea Adams missed after about 15 minutes. We didn't create a decent chance for the rest of the game.
1: No, yeah, James Ward-Prowse uh, tried to take free kick. He was completely spooked by a, a forest player running back towards the goal, which interestingly, Everton tried to do that and didn't quite put it off. Um, it, was, it was abject. I, mean, I think what was fascinating about it was you know, this continual thing of like lumping the ball up to share them. So he has many, you know, many skills, but he's not like a six foot three target man. And, and you know, the Forest defenders are just lapping up all day. I mean, we were we lost one nil. We could have lost by more. And I think the one of the things, and look, we'll come on to the positives back, James, because I think it's really, you know, we're not here just to, I hope we're not here just to kind of bash him. But like, I just thought he, I think that was the kind of nadir, wasn't it? That was the lowest point. I don't think can get... Apart from if we get relegated, I don't think it can get any lower. And I think what really struck me was that he looked paralysed, didn't he? He looked, like, genuinely... Uh, quantum leap, like, he'd been, like, zapped there, you know, and he had no idea what was happening in front of him, but he knew he was responsible for it. They knew he was, people were looking at him to fix it. He just seemed to be completely lost, just blinking on the touchline. And I think... You know, he didn't make any subs, did we, until, like, the 60th minute or the 80th minute? Like, we, you know, it took ages, and it was clear it wasn't working. And he just looked like, he looked like the fear of God had got to him. So, yeah, the Forest game was was terrible. And I think, as well, you know, the horrible thing is that this season is going gonna, is gonna to come down to just a few points, isn't it? And it's going to be games like that that... That maybe make the difference.
0: It's yeah. I mean, it's it's slightly terrifying. I mean, if we oh, we'll, we'll move on from Forrest. I feel almost like I'm probably trying to justify my initial opinions of Nathan Jones, which weren't good. Um, I didn't really warm to him from the the press conferences either. Uh, I guess I was a bit unconvinced. If I'm uh, if I'm going to be brutally honest but um, you know we're, we're in a relegation battle uh, I suppose the good news is is that there are what seven eight teams in the relegation battle with us
1: yeah and I think your point about the press conference is one is interesting isn't it because like my job is yeah, I do I don't have any skills, so I do PR, right? And one of the things I've done a lot of in the past is prepare people for talking to journalists and being on TV and stuff like that. And what's fascinating about Jones is is his communication style is so old fashioned where he's still like he's he's like a very angry man, isn't he? He's like a really like chippy angry man. Um, and I think he's he seems to be mellowing a little bit. And there was a lot of Saints fans getting angry about this. They, you know, talking about Saints in the third person. you know, well, they didn't win many games. They don't defend very well. You know, they make mistakes. And I, I think he just kept making, like, really bad errors. And he did it even after Man City. He still appears, like, really chippy, like a bit scrappy-do. He's getting better, but... I think you're right. I think, you know, we as fans, we don't see, we see two things. We see on the pitch and we see the press conferences. Mm. And neither of those was giving anyone any confidence because it, it was almost like, well, you know, you need like great managers, the appear to be great managers, you know, like that thing Ferguson did where he would always make like defend his team to the death. No matter what they had done, you know, he would defend them to the death. And then, and then do everything privately. And you get the feeling with Jones that he was kind of venting, and he wasn't in control. Um, and then he didn't look in control of the football matches, so it was like a double plan.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the the other thing as well, which I think really irked me, was when he said he wasn't a miracle worker, and mm-hmm. you know, Southampton had lost lots of games before. But I, I think there was a general feeling amongst the Southampton fan base, and, and certainly I felt like this, that if we'd got Ralph a proper centre forward, like a guy who could outperform their expected goals, the opportunities that they were giving, someone like Danny Ings used to do for Saints, <clears throat> we'd been comfortably in mid table.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. I don't think there's any... I think, I mean, we, we spoke about this many times, John, that like, the horrible situation from Ralph was that he kind of had to go because something had to give, something had to change. But, like, fundamentally, he was doing he was doing that job with one hand behind his back because they didn't bring in that striker. And, you know, you and I have said this about Shea Adams dozens of times, like, we love the guy, works really hard. He's not going to get us that 17, 15 goals a season. Um and it's he, not lethal enough, you know, like, uh, you know, in terms of big chances missed. So, yeah, I felt, I think, you know, we were only signing like a Gakpo or someone like that away from, I think, like a pretty comfortable mid-table mm. life. But we haven't, and we haven't for three seasons now. And here we are.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I suppose really the, the point about the comment that I was going to make is that I just, I don't think Southampton needed a miracle worker. As a new manager, they just needed someone that could get the players doing a bit more, getting the goals, Um, hopefully bring in a a new striker in January and then kick on from there. I mean, we are more than halfway through the January transfer window. Still haven't bought a striker. Slightly concerning. Um, I know strikers aren't an easy thing to get hold of in the January transfer window. Should we touch on our our transfers and then get to the really positive stuff so those people listening, they can get all the stuff, all the sort of bad vibes out of the way in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll move on some really good stuff uh, and a look ahead.
1: I think that seems sensible.
0: Yeah. So signings, Tom, what did you think we needed coming into the January transfer window? And what do you think of what we've got?
1: So we, we needed obviously a deadly, Forward, as as I just said, uh, we we've, we've not had that since uh, Danny Ings left, and I don't think um, we've even had that you, even with Broyer. You know, I don't think he was like a deadly lethal striker. I think he was a very very good striker, um, and we've still not really got one. But we have some a couple of exciting players, it would appear to be, and one player that isn't in the Sport Republic. Mold, uh, which in Aussie,
0: yeah, so, I mean, Aussie is probably the the most interesting one, right?
1: Well, it doesn't fit the mold, does it? And also, he's a weird player in the sense that he is high profile, but has played all his career in fairly, you know, minor leagues, even like Korea, China. He's played all over the place, but he scored a scored a perler in the third place. Playoff in the World Cup. He scored goals for fun in the Champions League, and he's thirty. So he's yeah, you know, this is the prime of his life. Mm. Um, so an interesting signing, and I think it's interesting as well because it's one of those areas that we do appear to be. We've got quite a lot of like those attacking wing players. You know, you've got Eluneese, you've got Armstrong, you've got a Dozy, uh, you've got Adam Armstrong all of which kind of play on the on the wing. Um, and now we've signed a couple, well, we've signed another one. But this one, you know, does appear to have genuine quality, at least.
0: So, so are you talking about uh, Carlos Alcaraz, not the tennis player now? Well, no, well I was actually still talking about Still Orsic, thinking but, about Orsich,
1: But Alcaraz is another interesting player because he appears to be it's like something we've lacked, haven't we? We, we? Which is like, we've just... Our sense of access season just punch out up the field. And we we seem to lack someone. Without Lavia, we seem to lack someone who can turn with the ball and make an incisive pass. You know, we don't have that at all in our midfield. And even, I, I think, James Will Prowse, I don't think his... You know, passing is not his, like... what, what he's not what he's there to do. Um, and as we know, he's now much more effective out the pitch. So I think... I think it's interesting we've added much more quality on the wings and then in Alcaraz from what everything I've read and everything I've seen this is the guy that is going to help us break a pace and link the midfield and the attack and weigh in with a fair few goals and also he takes free kicks looks like
0: probably as good as James Ward-Prowse oh uh, come on no, nobody takes free kicks as good as James Ward-Prowse Tom you know that but I, I what do you think about the signings? well uh... I think it's interesting, and I think if if you look at it in the full extent of, say, all of the signings that we've made, including the summer now, we're now up to 11 signings, a full mm-hmm. new team. So, give you a super quick run-through, Zuni, Alcaraz, Sekumara, Romeo Lavia, Bellicott Chap, Coletta Car or Chiletta Sar, however you're supposed to say that, Yeah. Uh, dozy. Joe Uribe, Larios, not seen much of yet, and Mislav Ors- Orsic, uh, Matthias Litz as well, another backup keeper, and then we've got Maitland-Niles on loan from Arsenal. I mean, from that, the glaring, obvious missing part is a properly potent striker. Um, yeah, We've got Sekou Mara in there, but yeah, Again, he's a teenager from Ligue 2 in France. Yeah, not exactly prolific. Um, or, or was he Ligue 1 and then League they got relegated. Yeah. relegated? Relegated. Um, but yeah. I mean, Lavier, I think, has just been an incredible signing. And I think Colette a- Sar. How, how are we saying that? Colette a- Sar? The big man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think those, those two really stand out as as top signings. I think a dozy is very exciting as well.
1: Bella out before he went to the World Cup, looks very impressive. I think. Mm. Uh, and we've got Livramento's comeback. That's going to be like a whole new signing.
0: Yeah, that is. That is. You're right.
1: Um, but yeah, I think you're you're exactly right, and that we it was so obvious. Like anyone who watches Saints would could tell the club what they needed. But it's obviously really difficult to sign a striker. I mean, I've got a, a, a guy who is a Leeds fan, and they've just spent twenty seven million pounds on a bloke who scored six goals. Because that's you know twenty seven million pounds doesn't buy. You, which let's face it, is more money than Saints are ever going to spend. Doesn't buy you a twenty goals a season,
0: the mm.
1: league. Or you know, or French top division, or a Serie A striker, it doesn't get you that. You have got to spend like sixty million pounds to get one of those. Twenty-seven million pound gets you a half a dozen goals, and eight goals, and like it gets you basically a Shea Adams, probably. And you know, we're now linked with um, this Senegalese guy. Something is it Nicholas Jackson, or I made that up?
0: No, 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 that's right.
1: Nicholas Jackson, and he scored two goals for 20 million quid. Um, Now, apparently, goals is not his entire game, and he does lots of other things really, really well. But, like, it's just, you know, we're in a bit of a weird world, aren't we, where, like, this ridiculous amount of money is not going to get us a striker. And even if it does, even if you do spend loads of money, you can end up like West Ham. We spent, like, 60 million pounds on that huge Italian play they've got up front. You You can barely hit a, a... the door. so it's clearly the hardest thing to do isn't it is is find a striker
0: yeah I, I think it is but um i mean there's obviously one striker who's on the market at the moment here we've seen in the saint's shirt and and the best times we had under ralph hasenherth he was banging them in for fun the whole time he was with us he was outperforming what you'd expect him to get and and, and that's danny ings and even from what little time he's getting on the pitch for Villa. He's still scoring goals.
1: He's got four this season. Yeah.
0: From from very very few opportunities. Yeah. Um and, and I don't think I think because of his age, because of his injury record, he he would be less than thirty million quid. We'd get him for less than we sold him to Villa for. That was that would be for sure, I think.
1: You think so. I guess wages are going to be an issue, aren't they? He's going to have to take a pay cut. And is he going to probably really, really want to take a pay cut? And if he doesn't take a pay cut, he comes into the club higher paid than James Wall Prowse, which your James Will Prowse probably doesn't feel great. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know about the Ings thing. Like, part of me, there's always that thing, isn't it? Never go back. I mean, I guess the challenge, and the club will know this, is, like, they could bet the farm on Danny Ings and Danny Ings could break down in the first game or after three games. And then everyone's like, well, you knew he was going to do that because sadly that's what Danny Ings does. Or Danny Ings could remain fit for 18 games in a row and probably score 12 goals in those 18 games um, and and also bring other players into the, you know, to score more goals. So, I, I mean, I, I guess they have access to all that health information and they will make a, a judgement call on it personally I don't think I think there's enough goals in the team just about if other people can start chipping in with a few you know you look, you've got Adam Armstrong who um, scores what two goals all season one went to the FA Cup to add to his two for all of last season you know Stuart Armstrong isn't getting on the pitch early News he's not scored I don't think this season he got five or six last. A he doesn't look like he's going to score anytime soon. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't look like he's quite got that in his locker yet. Um, so really, it's all on Shea and all on James or Prowse, isn't it? Right now, um, that's it. I mean, you know, the centre backs don't score. Um, the full backs, you know, uh, barely...
0: unless they're playing in a World Cup finals.
1: Yeah, in which case Salisu loves a goal, but like, but but you know, so it's all on James Ward-Prowse, it's all on Shay Adams. Like, you you can quite easily see no one else in that team hitting more than six goals this season. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, I'd, I think I'd have to agree with you. I mean, especially the fact that for one reason or another, Nathan Jones doesn't seem to like Stuart Armstrong. Um, d- well, he
1: said he's been injured, didn't he? he said he's been playing through the pain.
0: Yeah. I mean, is that it? Is, is Stuart Armstrong just basically a player that's got some physical difficulties, and that's why you never see as much as as much of him as you'd like to? Well,
1: well, there's the things about because Saints so, fans don't really like Elunezi, but the horrible thing is though, Elunezi is like if you look at who actually does score and create goals, he actually does. He is not scoring goals this season, but he does do that. You know, mm. like he's his locker, and also he can run non-stop for ninety minutes. Bits, and he can play right back and if at the moment if what we're going to do which is what we do obviously there's Man City great effect is we're going to do this kind of four at the back in possession five at the back out of possession and then El Yanusi gives you that option to come across to, to right back maybe that's not his strongest position he has some good games there so I think you know I would love to see Stuart Armstrong play more games for Saints but like I guess Nathan Jones has to be realistic isn't he he has to look at Sean and think like he can't he can only play probably an hour yeah then I would argue you know is he better off the problem with Saints is that they're, they're they're not getting in front in games like even the games we're winning we seem to generally always go behind before we win and I would argue that there's a there's there's an argument that someone's like strong at least gives you that ingenuity and that talent and that ability to unlock a defense. So it might actually get bloody in front for once, so that it's not the most stressful experience in the world being a fan. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, should should we talk about? I I think actually we had a game uh, last week. Was it the week? Yeah, last week. Where last?
1: Day, everything. Oh no, is it? Honest, I can't work this out. Where are we now? Yes, it, it was a week ago today. Things started to go, go Pele, like Brazil, 1970 for Saints.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, sh- should we start with the game that um, you went to in London, Tom let's, let's go cr- chronologic, yeah. in chronologically. Um, for some reason, after that Forest game, you went and got yourself a ticket for Saints Palace. I mean, I think that's because you live very, very close to Crystal Palace now, right?
1: It's a free ticket, John. Okay, so you didn't pay and, for it, and, and, and James White didn't want to go.
0: Yeah, and you're able to walk to the to the stadium from your front door.
1: Not far off. Yeah, yeah. not far off. But yeah. So we went. And we bloody did a win. Um, it was an interesting game. We we were pretty bad for the first thirty minutes. Like like exactly as you think we would be. No ideas. No ingenuity. I think it took thirty not even, I think it was like 26 minutes before the first like very vocal Nathan Jones chant. It wasn't like a minority. You know, it wasn't like a couple of hundred people. It was a thousand, you know, 2000 people chanting at Nathan Jones, but the football was awful. You know, it was really bad, really uninspiring. Um, uh, You know, Palace sliced us open super easily for the first goal, five minutes later, there's some really clever wing play. Did it again, and and I think it was AU hit the bar, and it looked really bad. Like Saints just looked lost, and you know there's no ability to get the ball out the pit. Dozy was trying really hard. Uh, Elie was playing pretty well. Adam, they didn't, they weren't gelling, and it just it kind of just looked like exactly what we'd seen. At least they were they were trying harder than in the Forest game. But it just looked exactly like that in terms of just no passion, no belief and no structure. And it was pretty bad the the reaction towards Nathan Jones. Like, um, yeah, really bad. <laughs> and God steps up.
0: yeah and,
1: and with a bit of wind assistance, it was, a, it was great and it was it was great on a number of levels, but it was also great because it was Joel Ward who gets loads of stick because he's ex Pompey. Um, who seemed to sort of, it was his jump that almost seemed to throw everyone because I think everyone thought he's going to head it. And then he didn't. He misjudged the flight of the ball. And then I think that, the chaos of the ex-Pompey player is what caused everyone just to kind of stop and it it pinged in. Um, but yeah, but you know, again, like James Will Pratt, that's a, that counts that's a direct free kick. It
0: counts. It, it counts, doesn't it? I mean, I think obviously any, any people ever really count um Premier League goals these days in, in player statistics and obviously that's the the record of David Beckham's that he's uh chasing yeah. down. But yeah pretty jammy I felt that goal. Um but you know, if you if you get it there or thereabouts then then there's a chance that something's gonna happen, right? And that's the perfect place to put across from that from that sort of point. You put it so it's heading straight towards the back post and then all someone has to do is get a nudge on it and it goes in. Or everyone leaves it and it goes in.
1: But also, what I would say is that we needed a little bit of luck. You know, they needed just something to go for them. Like, Palace kept getting like ricochets in the middle of the park, 50 50s. Like, even their goal, really. Like, Ed, I think it's Edouard, like, mis- kind of con- miscontrols it and it hits Coletta Carr and then falls like perfectly for Edouard to run onto. They, you know, they had that bit of luck. Saints had no luck. You know, like, and when you're down, you don't get any luck, but we needed that. But you could feel immediately that the, the spirit changed. Um, and and truth be told, you know, we went into half time, they played well for the rest of the game. And then, you know, but it was too, it was another jammy goal, you could argue. But then I think that, you know, we saw Danny Ings score a goal like that against Liverpool where he chased down, I can't remember which goalkeeper it was, we saw him chase down Loris to get a goal like that. And I think, you know, the style of football now is that these goalkeepers come out and they, they act as a kind of sweeper and they're fair game. And I, it was Adam Armstrong. You know, he's not, he's not going to win the Ballon d'Or. He's not going to score 20 goals. But, like, he runs himself, like, into the ground. You know, in a team where you could say a lot of those players, they weren't appearing to be giving too much effort Adam Armstrong runs himself into the ground and chases down every single thing and he deserves that goal although I have to say when he won the ball and you could see he had a virtually an open goal I was just conv- I like was so convinced he's gonna miss like I just I which is a horrible indictment but it was it was a good goal you know and it's like I, I don't know like you know you can only beat what's put in front of you and Palace were pretty poor but yeah I mean I think um Nathan Jones kind of made a tentative walk towards the away fans at the end of the game, and then kind of bowled it. But it was a good spirit, and that yeah, you know, and a win's a win.
0: Yeah, and I, I think as well with whilst both goals were pretty jammy, um, I thought the the Adam Armstrong thing was was working in that game, if if nothing else, particularly. Um, I wasn't necessarily convinced that that was a, a major turning point, but happy to take the win, happy to still be in the yeah, in the FA Cup. Got quite a nice uh, draw in the fourth round against Blackpool. They've just changed their manager. Yeah. Or just sacked their manager. Have they got, have they pointed a new one yet, or have they just sacked? Yeah, I
1: saw they sacked Michael Appleton, haven't they? Yeah. Get a scariest looking man in football They sacked him, very brave. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, and but look, I think you know, they needed a bit of luck. And also they needed to play a team that were as down on their like, dumps as the Saints were, and, and Palace are definitely that. But yeah, I, I just, it was a, it's a good win, all things said.
0: Yeah. And and then I suppose something totally inexplicable happened because Southampton versus Man City on Wednesday is you know, one of may, maybe... One of the only comfortable Southampton victories I can remember in recent years. And that sounds utterly ludicrous to say. Playing against Man City, who've only lost in 90 minutes in the League Cup to two teams in the last seven years. Um,
1: yep. Yep. Guardiola's never lost a domestic quarter final
0: in, in his, his entire career. career. Yeah. Um, Bazzunu doesn't keep clean sheets.
1: He doesn't. He hates a clean sheet. And, you know, and, and, and well, also just oh, man.
0: City. Hang on. What was the other one? Man City didn't land a single shot yeah. on target, well, this, which was the well, first time good. since like 2017 or something. Yeah,
1: it's like four or five years. Um, there's two schools of thought. It. One is that like, they did have a shot on target, which is the Alcaraz kind of back heel thing. But uh, who knows? We're not going to quibble over it. But Saints just dominated them and I, I, I tried to sort of explain it to a friend the next day at work I was like well when it came to like the 90th minute and they put six minutes up I think for that six minutes five minutes of it was spent in the Man City half this wasn't like saints holding on for dear life and throwing themselves in front of the ball they were just quite comfortable
0: I mean that's exactly what I'm trying to say Tom I can't remember a Southampton victory um that has felt that comfortable, especially not against a team like Man City. It just seems inexplicable. Um, what, what about the way that they played? Because, I mean, Ward Prowse was sensational again. Uh, Sekumara took his chance brilliantly. Walker Peters was was fantastic. Gineppe was channeling the Gineppe, which I don't think we've seen, you know, probably for. Three years, four years.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was challenging that. He looked like that player against Sheffield United, didn't he? Or against Brighton, that kind of like, what the hell can he? This guy can do anything. But also, there's an interesting article in the Athletic today about how much Nathan Jones has changed formation. And previously it just sort of changed formation because he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Whereas in this, it was very deliberate, which was this, you know, four at the back, go to five at the back when Man City had possession. And Man City couldn't handle it. And, you know, a lot of players deserve a huge amount of credit. One of, you know, uh, you know, they just, they they all played really well. And to your point, of, when was the last time you could say that about a Saints team?
0: I did generally, Tom, uh, gen- genuinely, so not generally—that makes no sense. Genuinely, I can't remember um, a performance that good. I mean, we beat Chelsea uh, this season. That felt really good. But
1: well, that was scrappy, wasn't, it? It, wasn't it,
0: it? I mean, it was much more scrappy, and Chelsea had quite a few chances in that. Yeah, you know, we we, we rode our luck at times there, but we didn't even need to ride our luck against Man City. We. we we dominated them for, yeah, you know, eighty of the ninety minutes of the game, and and even the the moments where Man City were in our final third, it never felt that threatening anyway. I mean, even
1: Haaland came on and he didn't get a sniff. Um, hey. They looked a lot better when De Bruyne came on. I mean, it's funny because you know you, there was this interesting like dynamic on on the radio afterwards where people were saying, "Well, you know, Man City put our a weekend team." I mean, come off it. That Man City team would still probably finish in the top two or three of the Premier League without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, It had World Cup winners in it. You know, it had everything. You know, the idea that it wasn't a good team. And
0: and also assembled with several hundred million pounds more than the entire Saints' first 11.
1: Yeah. Uh, You have to give, like, he has... like, the thing is with Saints fans, it's, everyone's leapt on bandwagon and then slagged off Nathan Jones and given him like more abuse than you've ever seen anyone probably since Branford. But you have to then, when he gets it right, you have to row back on it a little bit and you have to give credit where credit's due. And he completely outfoxed that, that Man City team. And I think one of the things I was worried about was are the players going to play for Nathan Jones? Are they going to like, when it really comes down to it, are they just going to get him fired? And they're playing for Nathan Jones, And I think that Man City result showed it. It's because they, they did everything right. And they played with passion, commitment, intelligence. And it was kind of... It was a bit like the Spurs game on 3-2. It was the best of Saints, isn't it? It's like, that's as good as it gets. You know, that kind of high-intensity play.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and... um. So, I mean, you mentioned that Jacob Tanswell article on the Athletic today about the different formations. For for those people that don't have subscriptions to the Athletic, um, what what he was trying to do there is just show all the different formations that he's using, and then potentially why we were using them. And he he used examples from some of the losses as well as as the wins, but it seemed to completely outfox Guardiola, which yeah. Yeah, credit where credit's due. I don't think a week before anyone would have expected, us Nathan Jones to Outfox Guardiola, um, only, what, 20,000 fans in the stadium?
1: Yeah, it was bad, 22,000 or something. I think, and it was only like £15 a ticket, wasn't it? It's not. It wasn't that expensive for adults. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, but, you know, we deserved that. Mara's goal was great, like you say. Genoa's goal was arguably our goal of the season so far. I should,
0: should we talk about Lianco's incredible interception and then assist for the Mara Because
1: or, or just the the Lianco sense, the renaissance of Lianco. Like, because let's face it, what he did against Forest, it was one of those things where you'd be surprised if you just never. The guy gets like bundled out, you know, the club. Well, um,
0: especially seeing as he fluffed it against Fulham as well, hadn't he, giving away that yeah. penalty?
1: But he's, but to be fair, he's. I mean, against he was good against Palace. You know, he was good against Zaha. He was good, and I think he's clearly a nutter. But and I think this is one of the points Nathan James has made. It's like Saints aren't necessarily a bad team. They're making lots of individual mistakes. I think if you look through the team, like. Pezzunia has, I mean, like that first Brighton goal, you know, the ball goes straight through. Obviously, like, Lianko's had a couple of nightmares. Um, You know, they're making a lot of individual errors. And if they can cut out those individual errors, things will be different. And you have to give it to Lianko to pick himself up after that Forest game, when he can't have been very popular around the training ground, and just to keep playing and keep playing really well. And like you say, that interception and cross, that was something else, wasn't it? If
0: if Rhys James had done that, everyone would be going mad about it. Yeah. I was reading um, a book by a former uh, guest of this podcast. Um, I don't want to give it away because I'm going to be giving it to my brother on Saturday as his very late Christmas present. (laughs) Uh, But there's a a little um, page in that where they're talking about putting the ball into the corridor of uncertainty as an attacking move, which is that space uh, sort of around the edge of the, the penalty area. And you know, if you don't have anything on, if you just whack it into that area, especially if you're coming from one of the wings, you've got, you've got a really good chance because players can run onto it and they can normally bang it in first time. And that was a perfect. Lianke ran forward, put it into the corridor of uncertainty. Second a brilliant footwork to get past Carl Walker. And then a, a beautiful finish, but um yeah, so I appreciated that uh, that corridor of uncertainty. Having read that book and then watched it unfold on the pitch was quite satisfying.
1: Well, there's that there was a theory that the Saints were doing it for a little while on the rough where they the centre backs would pump the ball up or the full backs pump the ball up because the idea is like and let the defenders head it, let the let the centre backs win that almost like let them win the header because they know that. Yeah, and then win the ball down. The idea is to win the ball from the header rather than try and win the header because it's more effective to be to win the ball there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a great goal. Gineppo's goal was oh, So what was Gineppo doing? He shouldn't even have been there. It was like he was on the wrong side of the pitch, in the wrong half. <laughs> the guy just does what he
0: wants. It was great, wasn't it? Um, and I I think this is it. I mean, there was a similar goal that Liverpool scored. Uh, last night against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, where where you've got a keeper that's playing that sweeper-keeper position. If you're very, very quick in your transition out of your own half, there are opportunities to be brave and chip a keeper But, I mean, Gineppe, he just did it perfectly, didn't he? And from the moment he left his boot, he knew that was going in. He was celebrating long before the ball was in the back of the net. It was quite wonderful to watch.
1: It reminded me of that, Shane. Shane Long scored a brilliant goal, didn't it, a few years ago against Aston Villa. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me of that. It was a great great finish.
0: Yeah. So I mean, all well and good. Through to the semi-finals of the League Cup, very excited. Um, got our tickets to watch that. Um, through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Love the FA Cup. It's probably my favourite footballing competition, I think, the FA Cup. I just think it's great fun the Premier League is the thing which is the lifeblood of Southampton so two wins in the two cups probably still hasn't won everyone over even with that wonderful performance against Man City Everton go one nil down again win,
1: John do we not we, win 1997 is it
0: yeah with the Kevin Davis wonder goal although no. we did win a penalty shoot up though didn't we in the League Cup a few years back did very good knowledge yeah yeah but that, that doesn't count in the history books. Um
1: So can comes down to a bloke who looks like the Iron Giant playing in midfield. He's huge. And, yeah, you know, he doesn't look good at this point. He doesn't look that bad either.
0: No. And yeah. I, I think, I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think Saints started playing a bit better towards the end of that first half? I think we had a couple of chances. Didn't we? Um, James Wall had that uh, shot that went onto the was pushed onto the post by Joe Hart.
1: Yeah, I, I think Wall Prowse moving. I mean, you got to, again, you've got to give Jones credit, I for certain things. Um, and you know, some people would argue he doesn't have a choice. Wall Prowse is like one of the only two goal scorers we've got, so it makes sense to stick him out the pitch. But to persist with Diallo is another one. You know, not a popular choice but like Lavia maybe makes Diallo look like a and is makes Diallo a better player because Lavia's also got that level of movement that like Romeo didn't mm. um so you move all powers on the pitch and yeah Saints look I mean Everton look bad but Saints look pretty good and like you say I think it was clear that is powers is just not going to want this team to get relegated is he he's going to do this like if he has to do it by himself like Beckham against Greece he's going to do it by himself and um, yeah we took the then towards the end of the second half at uh, the end of the first half and then obviously going to half time 1-0 down and you've got to give Nathan Jones credit again he changes things
0: he, he does he, he changes things and then we come back out in the second half and it's working absolutely uh, brilliantly and, and very very quickly Um I loved James Ward-Prowse's equaliser goal. It's a beaut. Um, The way he sort of picks the ball out from the air, gets it under control, and then slots it past uh, Jordan Pickford really is a thing of beauty, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and also you have to... One of the criticisms of Ralph was that he didn't change things, did he? And like, until it was too late. And often we would go into games at half-time... On top. I remember this we did against Brighton a few years ago. we were on top, it's nil nil. Opposition manager, I think Potter changed things about it a little bit. We didn't change, we ended up losing. it. it was quite a consistent theme for Saints. And you've got to give James credit. You know, he moved Walker Peters back out, I think, to the right, obviously, where he's strongest. And immediately we get these guys. And you know what? It's a thing of beauty because Godfrey comes across and ward Powers just has this beautiful, like, drag back. Um, just to set himself up, gives Pigford for the eyes, little dinosaur, and just sends him the other way. Um, and it, again, it's one of those goals that if like uh, you know like Harry Kane scores, everyone's raving about it, aren't they? Like natural finisher, but he's he just you know what is what is it for him? And we'll talk about the free kick, but it's like five goals in six games.
0: I, I mean, his, his stats are incredible, aren't they? Um, and under Nathan Jones you know they they're really good i mean he's the only player scoring goals basically um should we talk about the free kick and then do a little bit of james Ward-Prowse appreciation following that
1: there's a lot to love about the free kick again isn't there it's like so there's there's an Everton attack and like correct me if i'm wrong shay adams wins the ball back yeah. like you know 5 6 yards outside our penalty box and the counter attack begins Get it further up the pitch again, like being ambitious, being brave. I think Al- Alvarez is on the pitch, isn't he, by this point as well. So we're going for the game. And then who is it that gets fouled? Also, this is another great thing. Who gets fouled like two or three yards outside the Everton penalty box by stupid Andy Gordon? It's Shea Adams. But the, the free kick isn't taken from anywhere near where <laughs> it's given. And also, there's, there's another great thing. If you watch it back, watch Jordan Pickford's reaction. You know, Jordan Pickford, who is the most angry footballer I've ever seen. And if you ever see Saints play Everton, and you just watch Jordan Pickford, because you're just screaming constantly and shouting and wet, raging against life. But you can see, as soon as he gives a free kick away, Jordan Pickford goes nuts and starts kicking down the goal, because he knows what's coming. But yeah, and then the free kick's not even taken anywhere near the place it was given.
0: No, I mean, he's taken about five, or six yards further back, which gives yeah. him more time to get get it up over the wall and then back down again. Um, also, less time for... Who is the Everton player that tries to run back to the line?
1: Mikhilenko, the Ukrainian
0: guy. Yeah. I mean, but that I think didn't work. <laughs> he just set off way too late, didn't he?
1: He set off way too late, whereas Forrest did it immediately.
0: yeah. And, and
1: I think and you know for whatever reason I, I don't think James Will should have shot against Forrest I think if someone does that I think we use that then to flood the box you know rather than try and beat a goalkeeper and a defender but anyway one might to to say but there was so much to like about it and I, yeah Mikelenko almost like probably actually does Pickford a worse thing than not trying to do it at all because you imagine he's sort of like he doesn't get anywhere near the ball, but probably just does enough to kind of disrupt and distract and almost probably get in the way of the ball. Because I felt that it wasn't like it was a good free kick, but it wasn't like he didn't blast it, did he? He sort of just stroked it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I reckon he's hitting it pretty hard, though. I mean, you look at all these free kicks. Um, we, we've seen like another highlights reel come out every time he scores a Premier League free kick. They do a new highlights reel of all the James Will Pryos Premier League free kicks. And what strikes me is that most of the time, you know exactly where he's putting the, the shot. A lot of the time, maybe 50% of the time, the goalkeeper's already started moving that way as he's running up to kick the ball. Occasionally, the keeper gets a hand to it. But almost always, it's got enough power, whip, whatever it is, or it's so far in the corner that, that the goalkeeper just hasn't got the space or time or strength to to dig it out or, or prevent it from going in. So, so there must be a fair whack of power on that. And then obviously the one against Wolves was just insane. Power.
1: Exorcet. But I think you're, but I think you're, you're right. Cause I, mean, I think the... The Pickford one was quite similar, I thought, to the Leno one yeah, It's Fulham. Uh, Leno's saying to him, like, here's a big bit of the goal. Like, aim it. I can get there. And he doesn't... And like the like the, the Everton guy, he doesn't get it in the corner. He doesn't need to even get it in the corner. Obviously, you're right. I think the whip and the, the dip on it is enough that he just knows he's got such a big or maybe he knows with the pace he can get on it he actually gives him more of a, a window more of a he doesn't need to get a postage stamp because he knows he can get the pace um but the guy's just a mirror and like it's like a lot of these top players isn't it like what ultimately it comes down to is pressure and like can you do it at a moment that really matters which for me is why, like you know, Zidane's goal in the Champions League final against Bayer Leverkusen is the best goal ever. Because when it really comes down to it, like, can you do that in a in a in the biggest games? And I think with James Paul prowse what he's showing is he does this when it. You know, he's not a flat track bully. He's doing, He's pulling this team out. You know, single-handedly in the moments that matter, and I don't think he's getting as many free kicks this season because I think teams are clever now and they're not giving them. They're not giving them away. Um, but like, even when Pick- Pickford's as good as it gets, and he couldn't get anywhere near that free
0: kick. Yeah, I, I think I saw um one of these little tables showing you know, current players playing today. Number of free kick goals scored. the The only player in the top five leagues in Europe that scored as many free kicks as War Prowse is Lionel Messi. Mm. Um, but even when you compare Messi's stats to War stats, War has got a higher success rate of putting them in. So, um, you know, if a free kick, you know, if you're given a free kick on the edge of the box, similar position as you, let, let's say you win that free kick against Everton and you've got Messi on the pitch and you've got James Ward-Prowse on the pitch. Who would you choose to take that free kick, Tom?
1: James, well, statistically, it's James Ward-Prowse.
0: Well, but I, th- I think yeah. we all know that. We, we know it's James Ward-Prowse. That's who you're choosing, but, right? I was trying to explain
1: this to my very disinterested wife. I was like, <laughs> we have uh, Southampton. So the fascinating thing is, like, we have the best player in the world at something. And it's something tangible, something that you can measure. You know, like... We have the best player in the world at taking direct free kicks. There is no one who can do it with a consistency and the variety that he does it.
0: Well, in the, in the top league in the world against some in of the top, top goalkeepers. League.
1: Yeah. I mean, he... And I think there's so much to, to... You know, he's not had a great first half of the season, but no so no Saints players did. But what's he on now is more like six Premier League goals... Five Premier League goals, easily a top scorer. Um, and obviously scoring goals in anything that matter. You know, these goals are winning points. Um, yeah, I just think he's great. I just think he's just, he's got something that scares people.
0: Yeah, he's got five Premier League goals and one each, and one each of the Cups.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we're now looking at a player that's like 28 years old. He didn't go to the World Cup. And again, what a crime that was. Yeah, to not put him in that World Cup squad. You take an unfit James Madison.
0: Um, Well, Calvin Phillips, he looked absolutely pedestrian. I mean, you you look at, you think Man City sold us Romeo Lavia and um, (laughs) he had Lavia on the pitch and Calvin Phillips on the pitch in that game. And my God, yeah, Man City gave us the wrong one I mean I, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, i probably being a bit unfair on Calvin Phillips I very much enjoyed watching England in Euro 2020 and 2021 um, and Calvin Phillips was a really big part of, of that and he was playing excellently but to take him to the World Cup what, was not the right decision, he wasn't fit hadn't had any game time he was never really going to make a, a major contribution and then you know, you're know, you right, James Will Prowse is the best direct free-kick taker in the world. That's unequivocal. Um, and, you know, in that game against France, we could have won that free-kick. Even if you didn't want to use James Will Prowse for any of the build-up play, which he's perfectly capable of doing anyway, you could have had him on the bench and said, all right, keep yourself warm. If we're getting a direct free-kick, you're coming on to take
1: it. Yeah, and he... He has, but he has so much to his game now. And I, I'm quite excited to, you know, and we're going on Saturday out with John, we're going to Villa, and I'm just quite excited because, you know, Ward further furrowed the pitch. He looks just full of confidence. Um, but yeah, it was a great free kick against Everton. And like this, and I really like the celebrations as well. Like, did you see the bit where he pushes Jones towards...
0: Towards the, the fans,
1: fans. yeah. A real, he obviously really likes the
0: guy. Yeah. Well, I I, I think they do as well. And um, Chadhams was saying, I can't remember if it was in the paper or to um, uh, Adam Blackmore on BBC Solent, but Chadhams was saying that after the Forest game, the players and the manager had a meeting to discuss everything that had gone wrong. So, so despite Nathan Jones being quite bullish in the press and saying, you know, we're playing well, it's just individual errors, obviously they all knew that was dreadful. Mm. And they had a big talk about it as a team. Um and it seems there's almost like Nathan Jones has brought the players into the mold, allowed the players to have a voice and opinion in the way that they play the game, which has obviously worked for the last 3 games. Uh I, I think that's really great. I think it's maybe slightly dangerous of <laughs> way of forming your tactics, so, you know, we we don't know behind that, you know, maybe it was just a meeting everyone had a chance to um, air their opinions and Nathan James went and did what he would have done anyway and still did it in a I'm the boss sort of way that you'd expect a football manager to do be like you know, here's a clear set of instructions for you to follow because they're all young men, I mean the Saints squad half of them are teenagers yeah, yeah. Um, but, do you, but
1: do you think John there's a like with Ralph, you know you heard a lot of good things about Ralph, you also heard he was a bit of a lone wolf mm. and you heard if you were out you were out You know, like, there were players that would say, like, he just didn't speak to them if they weren't playing. And you wonder with Jones, where they're like, because he's from a bit more of a humble, you know, non-Champions League background, he's almost like, and, you know, and he wasn't a great player. He realises that he has to do this differently. And I think the footage of him and Sellers at the end of the, the Everton game as well, where if you see him, where he like, grabs <laughs> by like the ears and like shouts in his face. So it's quite terrifying. But obviously, like, he's really feeling it, isn't he? He's really like going, he's going through those games. Like, he's, you know, from what, from Forrest, where he looked like a passive observer, well, he didn't even look passive. He looked like he looked like comatose. He's now like kicking, you know, he's like really feeling it.
0: Yeah, I, I, he he's he's absolutely feeling it, and um, he's been prickly and bullish in his interviews. Afterwards, he's giving us stick back. Yeah, you know, I, I'm taking that personally, and I'm also appreciating it because, yeah, why not stand up for yourself? Yeah, if, if you think you're right, you should stand up for yourself. And at the moment, he's proving himself right. He's making the rest of us look pretty stupid to be honest Um, and my god I hope he continues to prove us wrong and turns out that he is in fact a a genius appointment he's gonna take Saints to the well to be honest just out of the relegation zone at the end of the season is is all I all I want from him whether you know the cooperative way of managing the players is going to work whether prickliness will work longer term I don't know, but maybe he'll mellow out a bit. Maybe we'll, he'll get confidence. He won't have to be, say, combative. Maybe we'll like that. Um, I've heard people talking about Nathan Jones as Luton Town Manager, sort of created this atmosphere of them against the world. And maybe, maybe that's, that's the sort of team spirit that Saints need. I think we've been too passive in the past before. And if the players are going out onto the pitch really feeling like they've got a point to prove, then that can't be a bad thing.
1: Well, Ferguson did that, didn't he? He created that mental that bunker mentality of like it's us against everyone else and no one else wants you to succeed, so you have to go and prove him wrong. And I think with Jones, he's obviously like his spikiness is yeah, you know, he's just an unusual guy. He's a born-again Christian, which you don't get like you're not aware of many like you know, I can't think of any other British football managers that are so like vocal about their
0: Christian. Perhaps Glenn Hoddle. Apart from Glenn Hoddle, it
1: didn't really end well for him. Um yeah, and he's just a very, very like chipper, like unmedia trained, spiky guy. Um, but you know, I, I think I think hopefully Saints fans will start to embrace him a little bit more because he's he's a manager and he ain't going anywhere. Sport Republic are not getting rid of him. They've chosen that bloke. he's gonna keep us out or he's gonna take us now. Um, and if we do go down, I don't really think it's his fault. I think it's it's with Sports Republic. But um I hope on Saturday and, you know, the, the, the players get behind him again, and the, and the fans will get behind him, because it's going to be really important, isn't it? Like St Mary's has not been a great place for Saints. Um, and and their, way, their home support, understandably, have been quite upset at some of the performances over the last few years. And I, I think that if they can really get behind them on Saturday and really get behind Jones, um, then, then there's reasons to be cheerful, reasons to be optimistic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if we win on Saturday, everyone's going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think from yeah, for for a good stretch now. Um, what well, I mean, let's let's have a look at our fixtures. Um, where are we? There? So we've got Villa in the league, very important game, League Cup semi-final, important but fun game, FA Cup fourth round. Important but fun game. Second leg of the League Cup semi-final. Important but fun game. And then Brentford away. That's a real litmus test, isn't it? You know.
1: Well, they tonked us and it was a 4-0 they beat us last season at their place. They really gave us a, a good pacing. But again, I think the key thing is, isn't it? Like, If you beat Villa, no one really expects you to probably get anything away at Brentford. So anything's a bonus. You know, like, no one's expecting this group of players to suddenly go out and, like, beat everyone. They just have to beat the teams that are beatable and that are around them. Because I think after that Brentford game, the fixtures are still pretty kind, aren't they, John?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, talk about the league. So, we've got Villa at home, Brentford away, Wolves home, very important. Good game. Um, Wolves, I think, could be a prime candidate for us to potentially overtake before the end of the season. Something
1: like Lemonade's going to be there for that, isn't he, as well? Our favourite, Mario. <laughs> uh,
0: we've then got Chelsea away. Yeah. Um,
1: Interesting one.
0: Yeah, hopefully things are still going badly for them and they at that point. And then we've got Leeds United away. Again, I think another very important game. I think they're a team that are on the slide. And then... Leicester City at home. Who again? A team that that's sinking like a stone. Then yeah, we're talking way down the future. But then then it's like Man United away, Tottenham home, West Ham away, yeah. Man City home. So I mean, we do need to pick up some some good results. Yeah, soon.
1: but Saturday is is like I say, it's crucial because it's it's. Getting those home fans on board, isn't it? And just getting everyone going into the cup games, which are kind of free swings, aren't they, really? I don't think even probably the most optimistic Saints fan isn't probably thinking we'll we'll beat we'll 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 get through to the final against Newcastle over two legs. Newcastle only lost once this season, you know, look a real real outfit. Um but, you know, like win the league game. It's a free swing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, Tom, I realise that that we've been chatting for over an hour. It's quite late in the day now.
1: It's, it's 20, it's well, my bedtime,
0: John. Yeah, um, on on a weeknight as well. We're going to be hanging out on Saturday. We're going to be hanging out the following Tuesday. Yes, we probably need to call it a night here, Tom, and um, thank the listeners for tuning in once again. I think for our, our second podcast of the season, midway through Me- January also I should probably tell you this Tom one of my New Year's resolutions was to try and do a podcast once a month obviously that's quite dependent on your willingness to, to go along with that but um, if you're up Man, for it I, I've got I'm to willing to it give up. it a go
1: I don't go anywhere so yeah I'm very happy to to do that 100% count me in
0: Okay, um, there you go listeners you've heard me we'll, we'll try and get one one a month and obviously the whole summer doesn't count either um, so just, you might get a 10 podcast this year if you're lucky Maybe more, maybe more, maybe more. I mean, obviously, if we get through to any sort of League Cup finals, then then we have to do more, don't we? Yes. Well,
1: yeah. We'll, we'll be we we'll speaking a lot more regularly if if we, if, the, if the Jones Renaissance continues.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Tom, always love chatting Saints with you. Any job. Seeing you on Saturday. Um, yes I'm not I've got to remember Which buttons I press And I think it's this one There we go Good night all